Today in part eight, I want to talk to you about this. How to study your Bible. How to study your Bible. Specifically, men. How to study your Bible. Women love to get in the Word, but us men, we can read Time Magazine. We can read 100 emails a day. We can read things on Facebook. We can read the newspaper. But for some reason, a lot of times us men have a problem opening up our Bibles. It is very, very simple. It's very fun. It's very easy. And I'm going to teach you how. The reason the Bible is the most fascinating manuscript book in the entire universe is because it is an autobiography of the most intelligent and powerful being in the universe. It's not a biography, it's an autobiography. It was written by God, and listen, not only does that make it cool that it was written by God, what makes it extra cool is it's about God. It's about the most fascinating, powerful, important, intellectual being in the entire universe. There's no other book as, as amazing as the Bible. I've studied world history, I've studied the arts, I've studied you know, different cultures. There's nothing more fascinating than the Bible. Let me ask you a question. Is God a spirit, yes or no? Yes. yes. Is God a spirit, yes or no? Yes. Did God write the Bible? Yes. A spirit wrote this book. That is amazing. And it is about him. There's nothing more fascinating than reading and studying about God's heart. If you want to know the soul of God, if you want to know what he thinks, read your Bible. It'll tell you how he thinks, what he thinks about COVID, what he thinks about racism, what he thinks about sickness and disease. He'll tell you. If you want to know um, how God feels, if you want to know how he feels about you, it's in the Bible. Do you know the Bible says that we can do things to make God sad? It says we can grieve the Holy Spirit by using our words to tear people down rather than build them up. We can sadden the God who owns everything in the universe. We can actually grieve him. If you want to know God's desires, his will for planet Earth, his will for your life, his will for his creation, read the Bible. It's all in there. Now, there's one real important thing I need to teach you before we get into our four points today. Yes, four, not three. It's going to be a little bit long, but that's okay. So this is something so important that if you don't understand this, it's going to make me very, very angry. Okay? I need you to get this. I need every person who I pastor to understand this. When you study the Bible, when you read the Bible, when you, and this is a theological word, when you exegete the scripture, E-X-E-G-E-T-E, or exegesis, E-X-E-G-E-S-I-S. -E -E it means, it's a theological word, it means to draw from the scripture. To understand it, to pull out what God's trying to say. When you exegete scripture, there are three theological laws that you must have in place all the time. If you do not have these three theological laws in place, you will misinterpret scripture. You'll go off on tangents. You'll think you have this revelation you need to share with the world, but it doesn't line up with the heart of God. So these three theological laws always have to be in place. They are the laws of consistency, context, and congruency. For your notes, consistency, I think I left context on your handout, and then congruency. Here's what that means. When you pull scripture, when you exegete scripture, it has to be consistent with the entire word of God from Genesis to Revelation. In other words, Colossians is not the word of God as a whole. Exodus is not the whole word of God. Psalms, you can't read a paragraph or a book of the Bible or one part of it and think, I got it, I understood it. Yep, I'm going to run with it. That's how weird movements get started in the body of Christ all over the world. The grace movement that was about 10 years ago, where all over the world they thought, oh, you can do whatever you want to, live however you want to, and everything's fine. No, they took grace out of balance because they took it from one part of the Bible, not the whole word. 
The prophetic movement that came about back in the 90s where the Bible says we can all prophesy and we can, but people took that and thought, oh, now I can tell everybody what they're doing wrong and whatever I want to say, I can say it as long as I say God told me. No, they're taking it out of balance. The discipleship movement about five years ago that said, oh, you don't need church or leaders as long as you have one person in your life that you can always go. No, no, they're taking it all out of balance because it's not consistent with the whole word of God. It must be in the right context. You cannot take a scripture and pull it and say, now, imagine someone wanted to understand your heart, so they go to your cell phone, and they pull out one text that you sent somebody. One text, and they think, now I got this person figured out. I know everything about them. You can't do that. That's unbiblical. Um, the verses and the chapters were put in the Bible hundreds of years after it was written. So when Paul's writing Corinthians, he's not writing the church of Corinth and like, okay, chapter 2, verse 1, I want to tell you this. And then verse 3, I want to tell you. No, it's a letter. We put that in there to understand and be able to find scripture better. There were no chapters and verses. It must be congruent, this is big, with the heart and the integrity and the character of God. You cannot take something out of the Bible that does not line up with the heart, the integrity, and the character. It has to be congruent with who God is. In other words, you'll never understand the book he's written if you don't have a relationship with the author of the book. Um, people say, I'll give you some examples, they say, um, Jesus never preached on homosexuality. And when they say that, they imply, so it's okay to live a homosexual lifestyle. Guess what? He did. He did preach on it. Now, he didn't preach on nuclear missiles. And since he never preached about nuclear missiles, I guess it's okay that we blow people up with nuclear missiles because he never said anything about that. He never talked about guns, so I guess we can go around and shoot people. No. He talked about peace. He talked about loving your enemies and blessing them and pray for them and turning the other cheek. So when people say he didn't talk about homosexuality, he actually did. He talked about marriage twice. Two full sermons on marriage, and both times he quotes what God said that it's a man and a woman. And the same person that wrote the Gospels is the same person that wrote Genesis. So yes, Jesus talked about it. He, and, and when he did talk to someone who was living in sexual morality, remember, equal grace, equal, equal truth. He told the woman, well, he said, I don't condemn you at all. Now, don't do it anymore. Now, if she did it the next day, you know what he would say when he saw her? I don't condemn you at all, but don't do it anymore. And if she failed a month after that, you know what he'd say to her? I don't condemn you, but don't do it anymore. Isn't that, I mean, it's all, yeah. Okay, Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Guess what? You can't. You can't do, you cannot do all things through Christ's strength. You can't, you can't, you can't fly. Now you can go on the roof of this church and say, I can do all things through Christ's strength me and then jump off and you're going to break something. Well, I thought I could do all things that no, you're pulling that one scripture out of context. You can't live with unforgiveness in your heart through Christ who strengthens you. He will never, now, if you read the passage before and after, you'll just, and if you know the heart of God, and if you know the entire word of God, you'll understand everything that God has called you to do, he will strengthen you to do that. Everything that he's not called you to do, he will not strengthen you to do that. You understand? Okay, so I want to do a few more just to help you understand before we get to our four uh, main points today. If I wanted to be one of those weird Christians who does not properly exegete scripture, then I could explain to you that it's proven that Moses played tennis when he was in Egypt. Because the Bible says Moses refused to serve in the courts of Pharaoh. I can start a doctrine with that, right? I can prove to you that David drove a motorcycle. 
It says that David's triumph was heard throughout the land. I can prove that the wise men, before they went and saw baby Jesus, they went to East Coast Honda and purchased a vehicle. Because it says the wise men were all in one accord. Not a Civic, not a hatchback, but an accord. I could even prove to you that most likely there are no women in heaven. Because it says in Revelation 8.1, there was silence in heaven for half an hour. I'll make up for that at the, at the end of the sermon. I promise. I promise. By the end of the sermon, I'll make up for it. Okay. Four points today for your notes, okay? There's four ways to exegete scripture. When you read the Bible, there's four things you understand. Now, point number one and point number two are points that you can understand if you're not saved. There's something that the, the natural man can still understand the Bible if he's not saved. The two first two, but the last two points, point three and four, you have to be saved. And I'll show you why. Okay, number one is this. Historical wisdom. Historical wisdom. Some of the greatest, um, some of the most intelligent and influential atheists in the world will still use the Bible because it is perfectly written as historical accuracy, especially for the nation of Israel. It's all about it's all about how God protects Israel, provides for Israel. You and I are spiritual Jews, so we get what Israel has. We always bless Israel first. And so out of a hundred different things I could have showed you about historical wisdom for the Bible, just one, and I'm just trying to get you excited about the Bible today. That's all I'm trying to do is get you excited about it. But one is, there's a, there's a hill that's east of Jerusalem. It is um, it's like a, a small mountain that's completely flat on top, and it's called Abu Tor. And it was later um, called in English, Christians called it, the Hill of Evil Counsel. From this hill, if you, if you stand on this hill, let me tell you what you can see. You can see Peace Forest. You can see the old city of Jerusalem, Mount Moriah, the Hinnom Valley, Mount Zion, the Mount of Olives, even the Garden of Gethsemane. You can see all of these, these most important, beautiful places from this hill. So throughout history, in Bible history, the Philistines, the Romans, the Egyptians, and the Assyrians at different points of history, they all gathered their leaders together on that hill to write out their battle plans to destroy Israel. And of course, God always provided, protected, and took care of Israel. What's so interesting, all these evil people would meet on this hill all hundreds of years apart to discuss how we're going to take them over, how we're going to destroy, we're going to go around back, we're going to take this part, because you can see everything. In 2 Samuel 15, Absalom seeks advice from some, some people that he knows on how to overthrow King David, the king of Israel, from the hill of evil counsel. Fast forward a few hundred years, in uh, 1 Kings 11, Solomon invited the wrong women to be a part of his life, and it ruined him. And these women from foreign countries that didn't love Israel, they talked him into building a pagan shrine on top of the hill of evil counsel. 970 years later, Caiaphas... A high priest builds a house on Abu Tor, the hill of evil council. And in Luke 22, it says, in the home of Caiaphas, that's where Judas met with them to agree to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Super cool history stuff. John 11 says the chief priests and Pharisees convened a council on Abu Tor to conspire against Jesus and kill him. In Acts 5, 17 to 21, Caiaphas met with leaders on the hill of evil council to discuss how to persecute the early Christians. In 1930, um, 1933, Britain took control of that area on behalf of the League of Nations. 
1988, King Hussein got involved. The people that own it now, they're trying to give that mountain to the Muslims. When it belongs to the Jews, and it's belonged to the Jews for thousands of years, and we have the greatest history book in the world that proves it, guess what sits on that hill right now? One of the main headquarters of the United Nations. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't get together with other leaders of, of nations to discuss world peace. I am saying this. We should never compromise how we treat Israel. Because if you read your Bible and you read history, you'll know God will always protect and take care of Israel. Just some great history. I, mean, just, I, I, I personally, I love history. My dad always loved history. So uh, history is really cool to me. Point number two is this. There's practical wisdom in the Bible. Practical wisdom. Now, men, um, men, when they open the Bible, they feel like, oh, I don't understand this. I don't understand. Men, go to the book of Proverbs. This is your book. Put your Bible on your bathroom, on your toilet, behind your toilet. And when you go to the throne, man, you go to the throne at the same time. And you open up Proverbs and you read one scripture. Out of all the books in the Bible, if there's ever a book in the Bible where you could actually pull one scripture and gate, it's the book of Proverbs. It is filled with wisdom. Read the same Proverbs. It takes 30 seconds to open up your Bible, read a proverb, and then dwell on it the rest of the day. And do that same proverb Every day for a month, after 30 times, it becomes a part of who you are. Um, Proverbs 18.2, here's a great proverb. Fools don't want to understand, they just want to share their opinions. Now listen, men, how much time have you wasted in life debating with a fool? Getting involved with a fool, trying to explain yourself to a fool. If they don't ask to hear your heart, and they don't want to understand why you made that decision, and they just go, well, you, you shouldn't have bought that car. You shouldn't put your children in that school. You shouldn't have bought that house. You shouldn't move. And they don't want to ask you, why? Why did you do that? The Bible says you're a fool to discuss it with the fool. Ignore them. If you read this scripture every day for a month, it would change your life forever. Because anytime a fool came around, you'd think, you know what? I don't have... Biblically, I can't even have time for you. I'm done. I walk, walk away. Here's another one, Proverbs 17, 16. Don't give money to somebody who doesn't want to have common sense and wisdom on how to spend the money. So next time your wife's weird uncle calls you and asks to borrow $1,000, you can say, baby, I heard directly from the mouth of God. God does not want us to give that man money because he doesn't know how to use the money. If there's beer in your refrigerator, don't ask us for money. If you have cable TV, don't ask us for money, right? Because you're not spending. If you need to ask us for money and you're not spending what you have, right? why would I give you more to misspend? That's in the Bible. That's great stuff. That's good. Proverbs 10, 19. The more you talk, the more likely you are to sin. Just shut up in the message translation. Just shut. In the sophistry translation, shut your mouth. If you would get this inside of you, do you know how many times when it becomes a part of you, you know how many times you would close your lips and save you all kind of trouble? Um, here's a new testimony. It's 1 Thessalonians 4.11. Make it your goal to mind your own business. Some of y'all need to put that on your Christmas card this year. Send it to your whole family. 1 Thessalonians and make them look it up and say, God was speaking to me. You know how many Christians say, oh, I just need a word from God today and I want to hear from the Holy Spirit. I'm going to come to prophetic service and I hope John Paul preaches what I need. What about this? Just mind your own business for 30 days and then we'll go to the next step. Just try it out. When Jesus preached, he didn't run around on a stage and scream and holler and throw his coat on everybody. He was practical. He gave great wisdom. He gave great points. He gave great stories. Matthew 6, 33, he said this, put God first and you won't have to worry about tomorrow. Amen. Now, let me, let, me, let me modernize this. If you're putting God first, you won't be in line for gas when you already got half a tank. Amen. 
and you won't be stealing our toilet paper like you did last year. Now, if, you're, if you put God first financially and you're a faithful tither, first 10%, if the first day of the week, Sunday, you're in church, if the first few seconds or minutes of your day you spend with God and you're putting God first, listen, I promise you, I promise, you'll never have to worry about tomorrow. Amen. So for those of you that are worried about tomorrow, are you putting God first? Galatians 6, 7, here's a great one. You reap what you sow. Amen. I had a guy call me up a few months ago. Jump on my, my wife left me. And I said, well, what, what's going on? He said, why would God do this to me? And I said, what did you just say to me? Why would God do this? My what? God? God did this to you? Oh, yeah, it's so bad. I don't know what I'm going to do. I said, why did your wife say she left you? Because I'm never home. Are you ever home? No. <laughs> what else did she say? She said, I've never spent time with the kids. Do you spend time with the kids? No. Could it be, you moron, that you've done something to deserve what's coming in your life? And if you don't learn the scripture now, then the rest, your, your, the next season's going to be just as bad. If you want the next season to change, change the seeds that you're sowing. Well, how am I going to afford that house if I don't work 80 hours a week? Dude, right now you're going to have to afford child support. <laughs> You'd have been better off living in a van down by the river. <laughs> making minimum wage but spending time with your family and your children and raising the kids God gave you and pouring into your spouse way better than living in a big beautiful house making a lot of money working 80 hours what's wrong with you man you reap what you sow well it's their fault no no you don't reap what they sow you reap what you sow it's your fault you reap what you sow if you want to sow if you want to reap something better so man this is great wisdom in here great wisdom I feel like, because I have, a lot of times as a pastor, these spiritual people will come to me, and they, they, they're so spiritual, and they talk these so spiritual, weird words that I don't even understand, and they want to help, and why is this happening, what's going on? And it, it reminds me, remember that story where this guy, there's a flood coming in, and the guy prays and says, oh, God up in heaven, oh, Father God, thus are so great, thou art amazing, save me from this flood, and God says, son, I'm going to save you. I promise I'll save you. So a fire truck comes by. They say, get on the fire truck. He says, no, God said he's going to save me. The water's rising. He's on the roof of his house. And a guy comes by on a boat. He says, get in the boat. No, I spoke to God. He's going to save me. A helicopter comes by. They throw him a ladder. They say, Come, get out of here. God said he's going to save me. Two hours later, he drowns to death. He gets to heaven and says, God, why did you, you told me you were going to save me? And in Socrates translation, God says, you idiot. I said, a fire truck, a boat, and a helicopter. You were too spiritual to climb on board. <laughs> the Bible is so full of practical wisdom that you could use every day for you and your family and your job and your friends. Apply it to your life. Point number three is this. There's spiritual wisdom. Now listen, you'll never understand point three and four unless you're saved. And I'm going to prove that to you in a few minutes. So stick with me, okay? 2 Peter 1.20, knowing this first, no scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as the Holy Spirit moved them. Let me tell you one thing that the scripture says. It says several things. One main thing is this. No person interprets the Bible. Do you know that? No person on earth interprets the Bible. Don't you ever think my pastor can interpret the Bible so well? No, he doesn't. No person on earth interprets the Bible. Listen, 
The Bible doesn't need us to interpret it. The Bible interprets itself. If there's ever anything you don't understand in the Bible, it's because you don't understand it. It's because you haven't got the full heart of God. No matter what passage you read, if you want to understand it, you've got to read another one. And if you want to understand it, you got to, and I'm going to show you why God did this. And it's very cool why he did this. But there's so much spiritual talk in the Bible. You have to be saved and you have to know the author to really understand it. And I'm going to show you something. Luke 10, 17 says this. The 70 returned saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to your name. Jesus said, that doesn't impress me at all. I watched Satan fall from heaven like lightning. I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Now, we see a lot of the subjects, the nouns in here, right? We see um, the devil. We see um, demons, Satan, the enemy. And then, all of a sudden, in the middle of it, Jesus gives us a lesson on pest control. <laughs> which is very profitable, I guess. So, he said there's demons, and there's Satan, and, and, and there's the enemy. Oh, listen, and if you ever come across a snake or a, an insect, just step on it. And then go back to the powerful stuff. You know. Is that what he's saying? Or is there spiritual talk in here, a spiritual language? Well, of course there is. So what does serpent mean? When you read that, how do you supposed to understand what it means? Revelation 12, 9 says the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent, called the devil and Satan. Wait a minute. How can serpent mean the devil in Revelation and mean the devil in Luke? Here's how. The same person wrote both the books. The Bible interprets itself. Let me give you another one. Psalms 100, verse 3. We are his people and the sheep of his... Some of us are people... Some of us are farm animals. And I don't know who is who. Depends on how you smell, I guess. Is that what he's saying? Or does sheep mean something? It means something. Remember Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. They hear my voice. They follow me. 1 Peter 5, 2 talks about shepherds. Now, if you see the good shepherd or the shepherd, it's Jesus. But all throughout the Bible, shepherds, can, they can mean people that take care of animals. But they also have a spiritual meaning. They mean, it says in 1 Peter 5, 2, leaders of churches. Leaders of churches, and it says that shepherds are supposed to feed and take care of the flock of sheep that God has given them. This really excites me. Just pretend like you're excited for this point. It's going to be so good. You're faking it, but whatever. Ezekiel 34 verse 5 says the sheep were scattered because there was no shepherd. Now, once again, is he giving us like, you know, animal lessons? Or is he saying the Christians were scattered because they didn't have spiritual authority in their life? And they became prey, uh-oh, for the beasts of the field. Now, now, either he's saying that when Christians didn't have the word of God and spiritual authority and elders and, and people ministering to them, that the zebras and the lions and the tigers came and got them. Or does beasts of the field mean something? Not to, it means demonic activity. And that's what it means all through the Bible. Deuteronomy 28, 26, if you obey the voice of the Lord, your flesh, and is he talking about your skin? Or is he talking about your soulish nature, your bad addictions, your bad habits will be food for the beasts of the earth because there's nobody to chase them away for you. You have no authority to, to speak into your life and to, 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 to give you the wisdom from God's word. And so you become easy prey for enemy. Daniel 4.12, I'm going to keep going. Daniel 4.12, the tree. Well, what's a tree? Is God giving us an arborist lesson or does tree mean something? Psalms 1 verse 3 says that you're like a tree that's healthy. When the word of God is going in you, when you open up your Bible every day and every night, it says you're like a healthy tree. But Daniel 4.12 says the tree became prideful, high and mighty. And the demons, the beasts of the field, rested in its shade. So in verse 14, the angel said, 
Get rid of the tree and the branches. In other words, get rid of everything that caused that person to be prideful. Everything they were putting their trust in. Their money, their success, their 401k, whatever they were putting their, the, the government, whatever they put their trust in. Let's get rid of it. Watch this. Drive the demons away. But don't touch the root. Well, what's the root? Colossians 2, 7. Plant your roots in Christ. What I'm trying to teach is I'm not smarter than any of y'all. None of you. When I open the Bible, I read it just like you do. I just spend more time with the author of it. I talk to the author of it while I'm studying it. Um, why would God do this? Why didn't God just say the prideful man needs to get rid of all the things he put his trust in so the demons leave, but make sure you're rooted in Christ? Why doesn't he say that? Here's why. Listen real close. A good marriage and a good relationship is not based on how much you know each other. It's not based on your knowledge. Now, society, we think that because we play the newlywed game and the couple has been married. Oh, we know each other so well. That does not mean you have a good marriage at all. You can know everything about somebody and have a horrible marriage. What makes a great marriage is when you pursue that person every single day. I want you. I love you. What are you thinking? Tell me what's going on in your mind. What song do you like? How is work? Talk to me. I want to hear from you. That's what makes a marriage good. I love you. No, I love you. I want you. No, I want you. Spend down with me. No, you spend down with me. What do you want to do? Whatever you want to do. Let's hang out. Okay, we'll hang out. That's what makes a marriage great. It's not about the level of your knowledge. It's about the intensity of your search for the heart of God. That's what, make, that's what brings the Bible to life. He, the reason he puts all this spiritual talk is so you are forced to dive in there and find what he's trying to tell you and read this and read that and ask him questions and speak to him and listen. That's what makes the marriage awesome. Let me do one more before I go to verse number four. You tell me, all you Bible scholars in here, where in the Bible, besides what we already read, is the devil referred to as a serpent? Genesis 3.1. Now the serpent was more cunning than the beast of the field. That God, now, three things. Either God said the snake is smarter than the zebras and tigers. The devil is more cunning than the zebras and tigers and bears, oh my. Or the, out of all the fallen angels that God created that are now demons, the most cunning demon that there is is Satan himself. Could that be what he's saying? Let me ask you one more question. If, um, if you had dominion of the earth and you're Satan, you had dominion for, for 4,000 years or so, all of a sudden the Son of God shows up to take that dominion away from you. When you go after the Son of God, do you go by yourself or do you bring every demon in the world with you? Matthew 1.13, Jesus was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan and was with the beasts of the field and the angels ministered to him. Now, either Jesus and Satan and some animals were there or Satan brought every single demon. People think that, that, that Satan was only there three times. No, Satan tempted him three times, but Jesus fought demons and Satan all 40 days. Now, every time Jesus caused the demons to flee, what did he do to cause the demons to leave? He quoted the word of God. Now, how are you going to do that if you never open it up? How in the world are you going to do that? If you don't spend even 30 seconds with your Bible every single day, the beasts of the field run from the word of God. 
That's great stuff. If you don't know what good preaching is, by the way, this is good preaching. I didn't know if you understand. If you, I don't know if you have anything to compare to. Whatever. Number four is this. This is my favorite. This is where I'm going to win you ladies' hearts back. I'm point number four, okay? From my very, very hilarious comment earlier. Number four is this. Revelatory wisdom. This is when you're reading the Bible and the author begins to speak to you about something in the Word, but it's coming from the Spirit of God inside of you. It says in 1 Corinthians 2.13, every word we speak was taught by the Holy Spirit, not by human wisdom. As we explain spiritual truths to those who have the Spirit. The Bible wasn't written to non-believers. It was written for believers. Anyone who does not have God's Spirit doesn't even accept the teachings and revelations of the Spirit of God for their nonsense to Him. Remember when you were kids and you were forced to memorize Scripture and you had no idea what it meant? That's okay because it was in you. But once you got saved, it's like a light turned on. You started to understand different things as you grew in your relationship with God. Right now, I have a cell phone, but it's turned off. So you can try calling me, but I'm not going to get your call. The problem is not that I don't have a cell I have a cell phone. It's just not on. Before you got saved, you, had, you were born with a spirit. You're a spirit, but it was dead. It wasn't turned on. After you got saved, your cell phone turned on. The battery kicked in, and now you can hear from God anytime you want to when you read His Word. So, um, what I did was, I wanted to share a little bit of revelation from you that God gave me. And um, on, on Mondays, which is my day off, those are the days that I read the Bible uh, just for fun, not for study and not for work. But like I, I read it, I just I study whatever I want to study on Mondays. That's my. It's like I have no pressure. So Mondays, I just you know flip through and have and so Mondays uh, a while back I was talking to God I said God I have a lot of single friends and I have a huge burden huge burden for people to find and get married I have a huge burden for people to get married and um, I have all these friends that are always kind of oh I want to get married so bad there's nobody good out there what do I do and so I was talking to God I said God and I'll probably preach it on a, a relationship series next year or two years from now but I said um, God what do I tell people that want a spouse, that want to get married? Like, how do I? All through the Bible, you provided spouses. All through the Bible. So, God, what, what do I tell people? And he said to me, he said, John Paul, who was the first man who I provided a woman for? I said, well, Adam. God said, well, start there. I said, okay, great. So I started reading Genesis, my favorite book of the Bible. Genesis 2, 7, the Lord God formed man and breathed into his nostrils the spirit of life. The first thing God did was he saved him. Before a man ever gets a woman, he needs to first get Jesus. Before he ever gets a woman, he needs to first have the Spirit of God inside of him. You will never know how to handle a woman unless you have the love of God inside of you. Because God is love. Okay? The second thing God did for Adam, and this is just things God's showing me, he put him in Eden. Now, I realize Eden is a beautiful garden, but it was more, it was an atmosphere. It was the presence of God. God showed me it was like church. Because out of every place on planet earth that God could have gone to, it was an open door from heaven to earth. That's what Eden was. God didn't go anywhere else on planet earth but Eden. And that's where he put the man. A man needs to learn how to have a church family after he's saved before he gets a woman. Before he gets a woman, he needs church. He needs to, he needs to enjoy the presence of God. Because a lot of women, they'll leave church. They'll go find a man in the bush somewhere or a bar or whatever. And then kiss him three times. And you're coming to church with me this Sunday. And I'm dragging you to the presence of God. If the man already doesn't love the presence of God, you're never going to be able to drag him here. He'll never do it for God. He might do it for you. He'll never do it for God. He's got to love the presence of God. The third thing God did was he told him, work. 
served the garden. God gave the man a job before he gave him a woman. Now, you may be retired or handicapped or whatever, but you can still work. You may not have a job, but you can work. You can call people and encourage them every day, read a book, write books. You can clean the house. You can do something. You need everybody. You never retire in the Bible. You always need to have some type of work in your life. Before you get a woman, you got to learn how to work. Here's the fourth thing God said. He said, cultivate the garden. Bring out the best. Maximize the potential of what I've already given you. If all you have is a one-bedroom apartment, that thing better be clean and smell good before you ever get a woman. If you have a car, you make sure the oil is changed, it's clean, it's running well. Because if you can't take care of a car, you can't take care of a woman. If you can't make sure a car is running well, you'll never be able to take care of a woman. Maximize whatever God's... Listen, here's how you practice. Are your friends better off because you're in their life? Because if you can't bring the best out of your friends, you'll never be able to bring the best out of your wife. Um, if you have a woman and, and her heart is to be a mom, that's her, like a, whatever, a stay-at-home mom or that's her, you need to do whatever it takes for her dreams to be fulfilled. If, her, if she wants to go back to school, pay for it. Study with her. Ask her questions. If she wants to lose weight, don't say, oh, baby, you can do good. You wake up at 6 a.m., Pull her out of bed and say, follow me, we're going on a run. If you can't make her better off, why would she want you? And all the women just say, cultivate me, baby. <laughs> you need to be able to, everybody say cultivate. cultivate. Here's the fifth thing that God did. He said, guard the garden, protect it, protect it. The man should learn how to protect the woman. Listen, if your wife is insecure, if she's, um, if she's sad, lonely, depressed, that's a direct reflection of the man in her life. I'm sorry, but it is. Your wife should be more confident because of you. She should be happier because of you. She should be more fulfilled because of you. You got to learn how to take care of what God has already given you. Guard, you know, I have four boys and a girl. My girl's the youngest. And I always teach my sons, I say, you have to protect your sister. They love to punch her and fight. And, and they'll say, well, she hit me first. You know what? Sometimes a woman will hit you first. Walk away. <laughs> Don't hit her back. That's your sister. You take care of her. Here's the sixth thing God did. He gave Adam his word. In Genesis uh, 2.16, God commanded the man, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge and good and evil or you'll die. Now listen, I'm closing with this. Listen, God never told that to eat. He never told Eve, don't eat from the street. It was the man's job to communicate to his wife what God said. He was supposed to go to her and say, baby, I spent time with God today. And he told us we could have all of this, but not this tree here. Is that okay? Yeah, baby, that's, I'll help you. I'll do whatever it takes. The man was supposed to say, listen, I spent time with Jesus earlier, and he said that where there's strife and confusion, the house will be torn down. So I want to do whatever it takes for us to have peace in our home. Is there something I need to apologize for? Something we need to work out? I don't want any strife. The man was supposed to say, listen, I was reading my Bible, and it says that we got to be faithful tithers. So both of us, I don't want to curse on our finances. I want to be blessed. Listen, I'll cancel cable TV. We can get a smaller home. We'll do whatever it takes to have God's blessing on our finances because I heard from God, and I want to share it with you. That was the man's job. It was his responsibility. The problem today is the women know the Bible more than the men. 
We can read Time Magazine, the news, and a hundred emails, but we can't open up our Bible? Genesis 2.18, after all of that, God said this. You know what? It is not good that this man be alone. I'm going to supernaturally make a suitable, naked, and complimentary helper for him. And I'm going to bring the most... Listen, Eve was the most beautiful woman in the world. She was the only woman in the world, but she was the most beautiful woman in the world. And that's what he got. So what man is it not good for him to be alone, according to God? A man who's saved, goes to church, has a J-O-B, able to cultivate, protect, and can share the word. It's not good. Now listen, real close, and I'm closing. If you meet a man who ain't saved, got no job, ain't in church, he can't improve you, he doesn't protect you, and has no passion for the word, it is good for that man to be alone. <laughs> okay, that's how you study the Bible. That's it. So I hope, I hope that y'all are excited and encouraged to start reading your Bibles. Amen. Open them up every day. And if you don't have one, I bought you some down here. So if you do not have a Bible on your way out, come and pick up one of these Bibles. Love it. Read it. This is your life. This is your energy. This is everything. Amen.